Good morning, and I just want you to know that I am glad, very glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Terry Cadwell. I am the pastor of Life Groups here at Lake Hills Church, and, and I just want to make, uh, just kind of say something, but actually a couple of things. That song, that, that song is just incredible. You realize we just celebrated what is probably, in fact, there's no doubt, it's the most amazing event in the history of our world, Christmas, okay? But Christmas, we have Christmas on one, and then we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the other end. And, and this whole event, this whole series of events that begin at Christmas is bigger than anything else our world has ever seen since the beginning of creation until now. But it's not done yet. That song says he's coming again. He is coming back. And we will see him face to face. Now, again, I am Terry Cadwell, pastor of Life Groups here at Lake Hills Church. I am not Mac Richard, okay? Uh, I'm normal height, okay? I'm one of the few guys on staff that is normal height. They brought me on staff so that you would know what normal looks like, okay? You know, Mac is, what, six foot one inch of twisted blue steel. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how tall Dan is. Dan's, uh, Dan's big. I mean, he's tall. I, I, if I were to talk to Dan very long, I'd get a crick in my neck. And, uh, and you know, he's abnormally tall, I'm, what you're looking, in fact, I think Jesus was probably about my size. So, so if, if that's why, that's why I'm here, okay, uh, to be on staff at Lake Hills Church. And it is an incredible, incredible privilege for me. I, I want to again talk about this, this incredible event, this most amazing event in the history of our world. Uh, we just got through celebrating it. It's, it's the, the incarnation when God became one of us. It's been referred to as the greatest story ever told. But unlike, unlike other stories, like The Hobbit, you probably thought, you know, guy my size coming up here, maybe I'm a hobbit. I don't have, I don't have hairy feet, okay, so I'm not here promoting the movie uh, but but it's, it's a story. It's not like The Hobbit. It's, it's true. God really did enter our world. In fact, did you know that 39 ancient secular, that means non-biblical, non-Christian writers, make reference to the events surrounding the life of, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 39 ancient writers that, have, that continue to surface referring to this period of time when God entered our world. And the reason they wrote about it is because they looked at these events and they had to write about it. It was true. Okay, so the question then is, how does what God did 2,000 years ago, how does that make a difference in your life, in my life today? I mean, really, what difference does it make? Does, does what God did 2,000 years ago in entering into our world, does that, that make a difference in, in, how, in how you, if you're married, and how you relate to your spouse? 
I made a tacky comment to Patsy on my way to on our way to church this morning. So at least at that point, he wasn't making much of a difference in my the way I relate to my spouse. Okay, but he's supposed to. How how does how how does what God did two thousand years ago entering our world? How does that make a difference in the way? If you have a family, the way you relate to your kids, or, or, or if you don't have a family, in, in the way you relate to your parents. How does what God did 2,000 years ago make a difference in, in what you do with your time and, and where you spend your money? How does God entering our world, how does that make a difference in the way you talk with your friends? Or here's a big one. How does God entering our world 2,000 years ago, how does that impact your plans for next Sunday? Or maybe for the next Sunday? Or maybe for all of the Sundays in 2015? And he, he, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible and you have your iPhone, you can uh, turn in, uh, you can find it on on your iPhone. I'll be using the uh, New Living Te- the Living New Te- the New Living Testament. Which is it? It's the New Living Translation. Wow, I, I, I know I get it. Uh, that's what I'm going to be. That's actually the Bible I've been using for a couple of years. You would think I would at least know what translation, but that's what I'm going to be using. So if you want to find your Bible, find it on your iPhone. You can, you can find it, but before we get to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 1, I want to pray. Lord God, Father, as I come before you now in the holy, awesome, wonderful name of Jesus, God, I thank you for the privilege that you've given me to proclaim your word. I thank you, Father, for all the people who came here today hoping to hear your word. And God, I just ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you would make that happen, that nothing in me would get in your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors. He spoke many times and many ways through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us. Through his son. Now that many times and, and in many ways through the prophets, that's referring to the 39 books of your Old Testament. And then he goes on, the writer to the uh, Hebrews, he says, but now he has spoken to us through his son. That's our New Testament, what we have a record of in our New Testament. So from Genesis which is the first of the 39 books, all the way to Malachi, which is the last of the 39 Old Testament books, there are hundreds and hundreds of tiny pieces to a really beautiful, big picture. You and I, we've sort of framed that picture when we celebrated Christmas this week and then when we took communion today. That big, gorgeous picture is a picture of God's plan to rescue mankind from death. Now, death, physical death, but also soul death. 
to rescue us from that kind of death and to replace it with a rich, satisfying, and eternal life. Those 39 books, God gives us that big picture. It's spread out in this book, in, in my Bible, the New Living Translation. It's, it's spread out over 775 pages in this Bible. 775 pages of tiny little pieces of this picture. And all those pieces come together and finally make sense in the Bethlehem baby. The Emmanuel, God with us, that all of the Old Testament had promised. When the mighty God entered our world as a fragile human baby and was wrapped up in swaddling cloths and placed in a feeding trough. Okay, now God, Almighty God is with us. Almighty God became one of us. So what's next? Did you know that what happens next depends on how you and I respond to God with us? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a story. He told a story about a farmer. This farmer went out and he scattered a bunch of seeds. He reached in his sack, he carried it over his shoulder, he reached in and grabbed a handful of seeds and he would sling them out like this. And in Jesus' story, he said some of that seeds that he slung out there fell on a hard path and birds came along and ate it up. He says some, some more of the seed fell on rocks and some of it fell on, on places where there were weeds and, and, and that seed that fell on the hard rock places, on the rocky places where the soil was sin or in the weeds, uh, it never really grew up. It either died or, or, or it just was scrawny. It never grew up into anything really nice. He said, but then some of it, some of the seeds, he said, fell on good ground and it grew up. And it, it, it grew up into plants. It became what it was supposed to be. Well, the disciples were really confused about this story. It didn't make sense. So they came, when Jay, they came back and got just with Jesus, just Jesus and them. They said, Lord, what in the world was that all about? And Jesus said, don't you understand? He said, all those seeds, that, that just represents how different people respond to what God has done. And how those different people respond to what God has done that's what's going to determine whether or not God makes a real difference in their lives. He says, you know, some of the people, he, he, he said, some of the people, they don't respond to God at all. They're not interested. And so God doesn't make any kind of a difference. He says, then there are other people that they do respond and they look really good at first. But not for very long. 
He says, after a while, they lose interest. Either because of problems that come along and get in their life, or maybe, maybe because life is just so good, they don't have time for God anymore. And so he says, they, they never really grow up. They're just scrawny little Christians. And God doesn't make any lasting difference in their lives at all. You know what? Do you ever wonder if God is disappointed when Christians don't grow up? You know, Patsy plants a garden every year. She's really disappointed when some of the things that she plants don't grow up like they're supposed to. In fact, she talks to them. She goes out and she'll say, Oh, you poor little tomato plant. Do you not have enough sun? Am I watering you too much? Am I well watering you enough? What can I do, you poor little tomato plant? Your tomatoes look really scrawny. One day, one of our kids was watching this. And uh, she came in and she said, is mom okay? And I said, I haven't the slightest idea. I wonder if God's like that. If he's disappointed when his kids don't grow up like they're supposed to. But some of the seeds do grow up. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus finished his story and he said, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. And produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. You see, for some Christ followers, God with us does make a real lasting difference in the way they live their lives. I became a Christ follower when I was almost 21. Actually, I was deer hunting at the time. And, and I prayed a little prayer. I said, I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for just playing church. And then I said... Lord Jesus, come into my life and take me like a football and run with me wherever you want to go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go and make disciples. Now, the word disciple is a follower, which in this case was now me. Okay, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So after I became a Christ follower, after I, I asked, uh, I, I was baptized. But that wasn't the end. In fact, actually, God was just getting started. Look at the next verse, verse 20. It said, teach these new disciples, that's me, to obey all the commands that I have given you. I asked Jesus Christ into my life when I was 20 years old, almost 21. My whole life was ahead of me. I still had more school. I had my marriage. Patsy and I were already married at the time. Way too young to be married, by the way. But, but Pat, Patsy and I were all already married. Had a career. Wasn't real sure what it was going to be yet, but had a career. We were going to have kids. All of these seasons of life were still ahead of me. Jesus said, teach these new disciples, that's me, to obey all the commands I've given you. 
I could live all of those seasons in obedience to Jesus. I could do it God's way. Or I could do it my way. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, My purpose is to give them me. I'm one of the them. And if you're a Christ follower, you're one of the them. He said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But that rich and satisfying life was not going to come just because I prayed this prayer when I was 21 years old. That rich and that satisfying life is not going to come because, because you prayed a prayer when you were 12 years old or 8 years old or 6 years old or 60 years old. That rich and satisfying life comes as we obey Jesus Christ, as we do things God's way through all of the different seasons of life. Or using Jesus' story about this farmer that went out and planted all his seeds. When I prayed that prayer and I asked Jesus Christ to come in and run with me like a football, the seed was planted. It was covered over with a little bit of dirt. Now the question at that time was, would that seed grow up into the rich, satisfying life that Jesus said I was supposed to have? Or... Somewhere along the way, would I lose interest? Would other things enter? Maybe good things or are bad things. And, and all of those other things choke out my relationship with God. So that God doesn't make a difference. And I don't get to that rich, satisfying life that Jesus said I was supposed to have. There are two Big factors that, that impact whether or not you and I ever get to that rich, satisfying life that Jesus said we're supposed to have. Those two big factors are our values and our priorities. They're not exactly the same. They overlap, but they're a little bit different. So let's talk about values and priorities. Values are the things that are important to us. They're the things that we invest in. There's a sense in which they're the things that actually govern our lives. For instance, if, if you value your appearance then there's a good chance that you're going to spend time and money trying to look good. Obviously, I don't value appearance very much. Okay? If, if, if you value fitness, then there's a good chance you're going to spend a lot of time at the gym. Now, I actually do value fitness. I just haven't spent much time at the gym, which is also quite apparent. Uh, if, if you... For instance, what, what if it's really important to you that you win your neighborhood award for the best Christmas decorations? Okay, if that's a value, then you will spend a lot of time and a lot of money getting your yard looking really cool for Christmas. And you know what? 
I just want you to know I appreciate you. Okay, I really appreciate people who place a high value on winning the Neighborhood Christmas Decorations Award because I enjoy looking at their decorations. I'll even stop and look at them when I drive by. I appreciate you. I appreciate those people, okay, because they place a high value, and I benefit by that. Okay, now, if we are to get to, to that rich and satisfying life that Jesus says we're supposed to have, then the, it's very important that the Bible play an important, a major role in determining our values, what's important to us. When our kids turned uh, 12, Patsy and I, we gave each one of them a project. Uh, at the time, uh, we called it a Proverbs project, I, project, I think, and, and, and their, their assignment as a 12-year-old was to look through and read through the book of Proverbs several times and find everything that the book of Proverbs said about uh, their, their parents, their relationship with their parents. I'm going to have to count this off to get all seven right, okay? Their relationship with their parents, their money, what they do with their money, uh, uh, their sexuality, work, uh, drugs and alcohol, uh, their friends, and then their speech. That's right, how they talk to each other and to us. Okay, and, and by, by the way, well, this was a tough project, so we put a real big reward on the end. So, so we had them work through this Proverbs project. Now, our goal in that was we wanted them to take ownership of biblical values in these seven areas with the hope that if they had ownership of biblical values in those very important areas, that would sort of keep them on track through the tough teen years so that, so, so that, they, so, so that they would stay on the track for Jesus to be able to give them the rich, satisfying life that he said they were supposed to have. I actually know a family here at Lake Hills Church, a young couple, who has done something very similar to this with their whole family. And actually, it's already made a huge difference in their marriage. And their kids are really young. I, I can't help but think that when their kids get older, their kids are going to benefit because their family's values are very biblical. So, values. That's the first major issue that's going to impact whether or not we possess that rich and satisfying life that Jesus says we're supposed to have. Now, the next important, important criteria for getting to that rich and satisfying life has to do with priorities. Now, it's not the same as values, but they're connected. Priorities are how we rank our values. For instance, if we say something has top priority, then that means that it is of higher value than something else that may be on our values list. For instance, if on the one hand you say you value fitness, on the other hand you say, well, I would also like to win the Neighborhood Christmas Decorations Award, Okay, but you don't put up a whole bunch of Christmas decorations because you're busy at the gym. 
then that means fitness is higher priority on your list of values than winning the Neighborhood Christmas Decoration Award. Now, I mentioned a while ago that if we're ever going to get to that rich and satisfying life that, uh, that Jesus said we're supposed to have, that it's very important that the Bible play a big part in determining our values. The same thing happens when it comes to priorities. If we're going to have that rich and satisfying life that Jesus has in mind for us, then growing our relationship with God needs to have top priority. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You catch that? Whatever gets top priority will ultimately have our heart. You've seen it. Whatever is our top priority will get our heart. Now, the more God has our heart, the more he can fill it with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all of those other good things that make up a rich and satisfying life that Jesus said we're supposed to have. But that only happens when God has our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Proverbs says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You catch that? Whatever has our heart is going to set the agenda for our life. And folks, there are lots of things out there in our world that are after our heart. And they're not all bad things. There's a bunch of good things out there in our world that are after our heart. And not just our heart. We have a bunch of kids here today, too. We're not having uh, uh, a whole lot going over with the, in the LHC kids. So there's a bunch of kids. The kids, who, if you have kids sitting with you, there's a lot of things in our world that are after your kids' hearts. Where we set priorities is going to have a big impact on who gets not just our heart, but their heart. It's been a few years ago. A mom, her name's Jamie. Uh, it was a church I pastored before coming here. She came up to me and she said, Terry... I need some advice. Actually, Jamie, Jamie was part of our worship team, and she was very good. She could play all kinds of things, so she just would fill in a lot of different places. She said, Terry, I need some advice. Now, J Jamie had, had two daughters. One was in middle school. One was in high school at the time. And, she, and her daughters, they were very, very smart. Uh, like their mom, they were very gifted and talented. And so when Jamie came up to me and she said, Terry, I need some advice, she was concerned about priorities and how that impacted her daughters. You see, because her daughters were smart, that means education was 
way up there on their list of priorities. Because her daughters were very talented musically. I mean, really talented. They started playing violin when they were four years old. Okay, because they were very talented. Practicing their music was a high priority. And also, because they were really good at it, every time there was some musical event going on, their, her daughters were asked to play in that event. But then about the time her daughters got to middle school, they also discovered that they were very gifted athletically. And see, I know some of you are having trouble connecting all those dots, but they, they, they really were. And, uh, and so what they discovered was that by connecting in sports athletic teams, that, that that's where their friends were. And that, and, and that gave them the opportunity to make friends. And, then, and so here they are. They're... Uh, Education's high priority on their list, and, 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 and music has a high priority on their list, and now sports has a high priority on their list, and they're middle school and high school. So you put that together. Some of you know what that looks like. Well, somewhere along in there, their sporting events begin to conflict with Sundays. And when their sports events began to conflict with Sundays, that was when Jamie came to me and said, Terry, I need some advice. And she said, I wanted my kids to be involved in all of these things. I wanted them to be involved so they could have fun. I wanted them to be involved so they could make friends. And I wanted them to be involved so that they could develop all their skills, the great things that God has given them. But then she said, something is not right. And I came back and I said, you're wondering, where is God in all of this? Is that right? And she said, yes. Where is God in all of this? Well, you know, I want to confess, and I had to confess to her, I'll confess to you. I'll be a little more frank with you than I was with her. I didn't know how to answer her question. But it's a good question. Where is God in all that we and our kids get caught up in? Now, on the one hand, I know that missing a Sunday is not going to keep us from getting to that rich, satisfying life that Jesus says we're supposed to have. But I also know that being at church on Sundays does contribute to getting to that rich and satisfying life that, that Jesus says we're supposed to have. Passage of Scripture we read a while ago, Matthew 28. Uh, verse 20, Jesus said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Isn't that what Mac does here every single Sunday? And I challenge you, you can go to any church in Austin and you won't find anybody that, that teaches God's word to us in a more understandable, life-oriented way than Mac Richard does. In fact, look at the, another verse. In Matthew chapter 13, 23, the one where Jesus said about the seeds that grow up and become 
real productive and, 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 and grown-up plants. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word. Doesn't Mac bring every single Sunday? Doesn't he come in here and he presents God's Word to us in a way that even we can understand it? Well, I didn't know how to answer Jamie's question. Except to say, Jamie, y'all need to figure out what your values are and which of those values has top priority. So I couldn't answer a question. The answer was right there with her. She's going to have to figure that out. So Jamie went home. It was on a Sunday. Jamie went home and she sat down with her girls and they all made a list of what was important to them. What were their values? Now, it was really interesting because both of her girls were really serious about their relationship with the Lord. And, and, and so many of those values that ended up on their list, they were biblical values. But that was the easy part. The next part was the hard part. And that was giving priority to those values. And something really cool happened there because without Jamie saying a single word, both of her girls put their relationship with God as top priority. I would imagine Jamie just went, And then before it was over, Sunday church regained the priority it had once had. Now, I know there are other things that are important to growing our relationship with God. There's our personal time with God in the Bible. There's service. There's involvement in small groups. Okay, all of those things are also they important. They contribute to that rich, satisfying life that Jesus wants us to have. But for 2,000 years, what Christ followers do on Sundays has been a really big deal. And I have to believe it still is. So I want to ask you, what are your plans for next Sunday and the following Sunday. Do you need to go home and craft a, a values and priority statement so that you can get your life back on a spiritual track that it needs to be on? So that Jesus can give you that rich, satisfying life that only he can give. Let's bow our heads. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And, and if, if as you look at your life... If it is clear that, that your 
priorities need to be adjusted if God is going to be able to give you the rich, satisfying life that Jesus said you're supposed to have. And if you're the only one that knows that, just like Jamie was there, Jamie and her kids, they were the only ones, you're the only ones that would know, you, you're the only one that knows that. And, and, and if you need to craft a values and priorities statement, then in just a moment when we pray, I'm going to ask you to tell God that that's what you want to do. And if it involves more than one person, then do it together with whoever it involves. You're going to put something on your calendar today or tomorrow or the next day and say, okay, we're going to get together right here. And we're going to put together a values and priorities statement. We're tired of just letting, of just being drug around by life and not pursuing the life that God wants us to have. So we're going to do that. And I'm going to ask you just to tell God that's what you want to do and ask God to give you the grace and the wisdom to do it. But you know what? In a crowd like this, there's no doubt that there are some people who have, there's some of you, you have never really entered into that relationship with God. You've never taken the seed that God has put out there in front of you, the seed that is the truth about Jesus Christ, that he really did come, that he really did die, and that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back, and that he did all of this so you can have a rich, satisfying, and eternal life. There's some of you who have yet to step into that by faith and say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. And if you've never done that, then while people sitting around you are praying and asking, to, and asking God to give them the grace to make up values and priorities list, why don't you pray and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and take me and make me into the person you want me to be. You just pray that. In fact, you can pray something just like I did, just under your breath. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me into the person you want me to be. Just right now, Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me into the person you want me to be. And then once you say that, Keep your heads bowed, but just say, amen, and then thank you. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and make you into the person he wants you to be, then I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and keep it up there. Raise it for a couple of reasons. I'm, I want to pray for you. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and I'm going to say, God, there are people here with their hands raised. They're raised to you. I want to pray for you. So raise your hand up. Hold your hand up there. Lord God, you see these hands. They're being held up right now before you. 
And God, I just ask you that you would give these new Christ followers, Lord, give them the direction and the relationships and everything that they need so that they can beginning right now, so that they can live all of the seasons of their life, the seasons that are in front of them, in obedience to Jesus Christ, your son. Now, while you put your hand down, we're gonna put ours together. And I wanna welcome you into God's family. It's great to have you here.